Good morning. Uh, welcome to the irrigation management class. My name is Sean Spidell. I'm from Daystar Adventist Academy. And my cohort today is Darren Greenfield from Weimar Academy. We're both farm managers in our posts. Uh, why don't we start with a word of, pl- word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day. We thank you for all your blessings of just having beautiful scenery around us and, Lord, just the ability to come together and come apart from the busyness and hecticness of life. Uh, Lord, we just pray that your uh, mission will become accomplished in your people. Please uh, bless this class, Lord, and help us to clearly spell out um, you know, some of the principles that make for easy management. In your name, amen. So, should have practiced, practiced this before I did it, but um, Daystar is located in a really, really dry region. It's in Castle Valley, Utah, near Moab. Um, if we don't irrigate, plants die really fast. So we can lose up to 0.3, well, a third to half an inch of water a day is how much the plants are actually transpiring. So it's, it's pretty hot and dry in the summertime. Uh, Darren is from Weimar, and it's also fairly dry as well. A lot of you folks here in the east, you're, you probably don't have to irrigate a lot of the weeks, but we have to irrigate all the time out there. Um, let's start with a simple um, model like the, uh, the ideal soil. What, is one, what does an ideal soil look like? And you have, um, you know, the air, you need 25% air, and 25% water in that soil for the optimal plant growth. Now that's kind of subject to some, you know, that can, that can adjust from, you know, 20% air and more water. But the minerals in the organic matter help to set the, how much air and how much water is available to the plant, how quickly that water actually infiltrates. So a lot of times the focus is on irrigation when really the focus should be a little bit more on the soil fertility side. Um, it's not good to be totally imbalanced on your soil and expect that your irrigation is going to do what it should do. So there are some places in the world where irrigation patterns look like this. You know, it can happen due to um, old nozzles. Um, Oftentimes, especially in landscape situations, it happens because of very poor design or very poor Sprinklers, specifically the Orbit brand of sprinklers, I'll just say stay away from those, period. Um, these folks with this large of a field, you know, they, they obviously have something going wrong. It looks like there's a sprinkler that kind of jets out there and makes a donut. A little bit of mist goes out, but it misses a huge portion. So you don't want your garden, you know, if you're doing like a market garden where every square foot counts, you don't want it to look like this. So the things that will hinder crop growth is if you have, you know, not enough water, you know, bad frequency of the water, bad timing in the day. Uh, we even at, at the farm, you know, we, we irrigate our salad mix beds in the field in the middle of the afternoon because I've got a low application rate and it carries it over about a two-hour period of cooling. So the plants are under almost no stress during that period. Um, you know, the placement of the water obviously in this picture really matters. But I also want to bring to, point, bring to light that the nutrition of the plant matters. If you're lacking potassium or lacking zinc, 
you're really not going to use water very effectively. So this is also where soil balance comes in. So this is our landscape. That's what it looks like in the natural setting. That's out my back door. Um, this is our farm on our school campus. So you can tell that, you know, when you see, we're called to be husbandmen. We're supposed to make the world a better place. Um, it's not to say that the natural world is completely ugly, but, you know, I think the Lord calls us to dress things up a bit. Okay. This is our field. So this is, this is irrigated with side rolls. Well, with one side roll, and this one has some significant issues. So this is a Google image from this last summer. I didn't need the image to tell me this, but I knew what was already happening. We didn't get the water on quick enough after an alfalfa cutting. And our pattern for this impact sprinkler is 60 foot by 40 foot. Oops, I better get through some of these things. So 60 foot by 40 foot, that's a long way to try to throw water with a, a simple rain bird style impact sprinkler. Um, our uniformity is probably no better than 60, 65% at best. Um, you want to make sure that when you do irrigation, you have the highest uniformity possible. You know, you, you, you don't want to be in the 67% range unless that's all the technology that you can put in that field. Yes? Well, it's basically, it's a, it's a measurement of distribution you know there's different ways of measuring distribution uniformity um i'll i'll kind of come to that as we go along but basically if this if this field is 60% or 65% and we need 2 inches of water a week to maintain that crop we really have to put on about 3 inches of water a week in order so every place gets 2 inches a week so that's the concept i'm trying to get across them you can put containers and catch them and then you run the calculation based on what you catch so essentially, this, is, this field would requ require another 29,000 gallons of water per acre. So it's quite a bit of water. How many acres do you guys have? We have about 200, but we don't irrigate all that many. We irrigate about 100 to 150. I, we just don't have enough water, so we have to... I'm going to just bring out, there's a really good resource here. It's called... Um, Managing Irrigation Water Quality for Crop Production in the Pacific Northwest. This doesn't just stay in the Pacific Northwest, but I think it's a really good article. I was trying to figure out our water quality, how bad it is, how good it is. You know, our water has a lot of good features to it. We don't ever have to lime our fields. It's bringing enough calcium and magnesium where it maintains. Um, you know, there's chloride that comes with it. There's sulfur that comes with it. Um, but it the bicarbonates are high, so it causes some surface sealing. Um, all of these slides should be made available, so I'm just going to kind of roll through them pretty quickly. And then, um, you know, you can always get the PDF and then just click on some of these links and download some of these things. But this is a really good, um, if you're questioning your water quality or if you're buying a property, get a soil test and get a water test first. It's just not worth getting having bad water or extremely bad soil. A lot of times it, it's more costly that way. So, ooh boy. Hold on. Hold on one second. Well, right, right. There's, this little pamphlet will 
does explain a lot of that. Um, we have, let me go to the next slide. I probably should have organized these differently. I didn't have time to reorganize some of these things. These are two water samples. You probably can't really see them from up there all that well. Actually, it's pretty, it's not real clear, is it? Um, hmm. Anyway. Yeah, you're, you're not going to do a lot with a municipal source. Um, there's really no way to desalinate water, I mean, economically, for any kind of serious volume. You know, there's, there's like in our water, probably the easiest thing we could do is regarding the bicarbonates. Um, let me just kind of highlight where that is. It doesn't seem to want to do it. Yes. Now, most of your water is probably not going to be so problematic you really even have to consider it too much. I'm just saying this for especially those in the western states that have some issues. But if you've got high bicarbonates in the water, that's one of your biggest things. And so on our, on our we have two water supplies. Uh, one of the bicarbonate levels is 183 parts per million, and the other one is 141 parts per million. Um, that, believe it or not, there is a difference. We can kind of tell the difference. Bicarbonates will seal your surface of your soil. Um, I mean, organic matter doesn't like totally fix it, but one of the ways that you can kind of wipe out that problem is you can either inject sulfuric acid or you can burn elemental sulfur, which then creates sulfurous acid in the water, and that wipes out the bicarbonate. And then what you're left with is CO2 that gases off in water, a water molecule. So for our purposes, that's about all we could do. And I was, you know, for instance, on our 12-inch main line, we flow about 1,000 gallons a minute. It would, it would cost about $35 a year to just send the sulfur that we'd have to buy. $35 per acre per year. So it's really not an exorbitant amount, but it does prevent, it does allow the water to infiltrate. Um, the calculation for the SAR, it's called the sodium adsorption ratio. This is another kind of more or less critical thing to kind of look at. You don't want a high number. Our numbers are pretty good. One, one point something is a pretty good number. When you start getting like 10 point something, then you're in a, you've got some trouble. So those, those folks typically inject like gypsum. Now, how many of you are actually from Western states? You got one, you got two, three. Do you have to inject anything, Timothy, in your water? Do you should you be? Okay. Okay. I am not a water quality expert, but I'm going to try to lead you to the the sources that are, you know, that you can do a little bit more reading on. I know what our water does, and. I wish it would do more for us, but it's, you know, it's, it is what we have and we have to make use of it. So the SAR is sodium adsorption ratio. Let me explain what that is. Um, when, you're, when you have a high number, you have a high proportion of sodium in relation. Sodium is an element that doesn't allow the soil to take on water very well. Calcium does. Magnesium, not really, but it still is a base. It is still a double-charged um, cation. So when you have a high number, what typically happens is you start building so uh, sodium up in the soil. And what sodium does is it just 
you can't get water into it, and then once it's in, you can't get it out of it. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of growers, especially in western states, but there's even pockets here in the east where you'll find high sodium, like in eastern Missouri, there's places in Florida. You know, there's some bad water down in Florida. Um, so a lot of times then they, growers with a bad SAR water will inject like gypsum, calcium sulfate, into the water in order to drop their sodium absorption ratio down, and then it allows it to penetrate a lot better. A lot of you will not have to worry about these things, so I don't want to cause undue alarm, but the SAR figure is, a, is worth considering. There are some adjustments on these numbers. There's more calculations, but the document I showed you explains all of those. Um, I'm not going to go too much more into water quality. So we all like tools. My, my son likes a fishing pole. And do you know why he likes a fishing pole? Huh? You can go fishing. You can catch more fish. So as growers, we need to always look at ways to grow better quality and more. So we're of more benefit to those around us. Um, one of the tools that we found that's bought us a lot of time is called Open Sprinkler. I'm not a salesman for open sprinkler, but I will say that if you're looking into a good sprinkler controller, this is, a, this is one worth considering. Um, I believe something like this could even start eventually controlling some of our field valves remotely. But right now it's, it's controlling a market garden that we have set up with 11 plots, and next year we'll have it controlling our tomato greenhouse. But I, I guess I, you know, there's a lot of sprinklers out there where you can't, one of the simplest things, you can't run multiple valves at the same time. They're lawn sprinklers. They want to run one, and then they want to run the other, and then they want to run the other. And by the time you're done with the other, the crop is dead at the, at the first zone. So, you know, you want to, when you do set up your watering, set it up so it's automated. Um, this is just a little screenshot of what it looks like. Um, these are some of the... You know, what's nice about it is you can run zones simultaneous or consecutive. So if you, like for instance, we can only run three zones at a time due to water pressure. Um, so we do that. You know, we, we can kind of program that in. Um, it logs the data, how much time, and when it turned on. It's uh, iPad, iPhone, Android controlled. Um, it has open source programming. So if you're really into programming, you can make your own sprinkler package. And I really think there's, there's some potential for somebody in the Adventist world to take that on a little bit for the market garden scene. Um, you can set up a rain delay. Um, you can have it hooked up to weather underground. So if it senses rain, um, it can delay it, the whole thing. It is a global rain delay, so if you've got inside and outside, they haven't written into the code that there should be not just a global rain delay, it should be based on what zones you want to, what zones are outside and what are inside. This can run anything. It can run, it, it can run anything low voltage at the moment. So you can run lights and you can run irrigation. Anything like 12 volt, yeah. Is it 12 or 24? What's a solenoid? I think it's 12 volt. But it, you can do a lot of programming with this. A lot of people are doing it even with their lights on their homes just because there's not a lot out there. Um, soon there's going to be soil mo moisture programming. Um, 
Darren's going to talk more about soil moisture and uh, some of the sensors out there. But eventually, I'd like to tie sensors into something like this. Um, I will just say it's been a huge time saver. Some of the comments, <laughs> these are our, com our farmer comments, full of awesomeness and the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, it, it's actually, I didn't actually do the setup. It's a, it's, a wireless, it's a wireless device that we have off of our main office out in our field. This is our field. Um, I didn't actually provide an overhead. All the setup instructions are on their website, but I didn't actually do the setup. I uh, kind of delegated it, and I, it's been working great. <laughs> but no, it's, it's essentially, I mean, you can, you can control it from anywhere, and you can, if you forget and you're like down, going down the road, you can say, oh, shut it off, there's a rain delay or something, so... It does not control the pressure. That's where our pressure regulator comes in. Okay, because Can you just put a pressure regulator at each line? I think so. I, I would think so, yeah. Um, pressure regulators are, you know, that you need to be running. In order to have, like, a 30-pound pressure regulator, you have to be running, like, 35 pounds for a Senninger regulator. So you have to keep that in mind. You can't be, like, right borderline and tr try to make it regulate. It's not going to happen. Um, so this is oh, this is just like a little video. Let's see if it'll go. It may go. It may not. No, I guess not. I'm not sure if it'll stream it fast enough. I really tried to do this all last night, but it. Let me just tell you what it's doing. So this is I'm I'm turning it. I'm going to turn it on with open sprinkler. So I'm going to show you two things. I I want to show you that I I've. I've really liked Open Sprinkler, and I want to show you that I really like these Sinninger Excel wobblers. They produce a nice drop effect, and so they don't cause like surface sealing nearly as readily as some other sprinklers will. But when they kick on, they pretty much kick on instantaneously. So if you need something for frost protection, the, the wobbler is actually a really good option because it's not producing a ton of mist, it's producing drops. And so the mist, you can lose a lot of heat out of the water really quickly, but the drops kind of contain it as it's flying through the air. No, okay, that was in that one field. So that's a side roll setup with standard impact sprinklers on a 40-foot by 60-foot spacing. You're, essentially, you're trying to make a sprinkler do what it's not designed to do because that's the way they set up the side rolls in, the, in, in years gone by. Everybody know what a side roll is? Well, it's like a, they use them in the western states, but it's got this big round wheel and a bunch of round wheels and then a pipe going through the middle of those round wheels. And so every time you turn it, a full revolution is 20 foot. So for us to get across the field in a week, we need to run 60 foot. So 60 foot between the sets. So you can see in the picture here on these wobblers, I mean, this is one sprinkler that I would recommend. Um... Just because it produces nice drops, they tend to like they they tend to water everything fairly uniformly. They need to be done on a thirty by thirty foot spacing, and then I think they're about I think they're about ninety percent uniformity, so it's pretty high. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Or your computer. Um, I found my iPhone four. Being as loaded up as it probably is, it just is not capable of 
like it's so slow. My iPad, no problem. It's it's instantaneous. Um, you can do it remotely. I don't have mine set up to do remotely yet. There's there's some extra steps involved, but I think it's worth I think it's worth considering. When you do irrigation, I just want to say one thing: just make it simple, make it manageable, make it simple. Um, make sure the water is uniform, but make it simple. Even if you have to overuse some water, just make it simple. Um, Drip tape. So one thing I think I'll, I'll just bring up, every irrigation system has pros and every system has their cons. Everything. Sprinklers have pros and cons. Drip tape has some significant cons to it. Um, but everything, like, I like sprinklers in our climate because of the cooling it can provide. So it provides us, you know, we can grow leafy greens middle of the summer, irrigating the afternoon during the hot period, and it's just going to be cool. It's going to be evaporating all that moisture off the leaves the rest of the afternoon. So then it basically means the plant doesn't have to transpire it. It doesn't burn the leaves? No. So some water will. If you have high sodium, high chlorides, they sure can. She was, um, she was asking if the water that we have burns the leaves when it's overhead irrigation in the middle of the afternoon, and no is my answer. You know, we've turned it on for just 20 seconds. We've turned it on for two hours. You know, no, it doesn't. In our orchard, it sure can, but we've got some other issues out there. I, I put some pictures of center pivots, and this is a management. Yes. Good? Okay. I put some pictures of center pivots because it's more of a management idea. The reason people put center pivots in is because they're super simple to manage, and you do a ton of acres really quickly. Um, they, they use a lot of water, but I'll tell you what, our gardens per the same square foot, I bet, use more water than a, a well-designed center pivot. So even though there's, you know, there's all this talk of draining aquifers, um, you know, just choose whatever is easy to manage. Yes, a center pivot is a humongous sprinkler that goes that goes from a center point in a field, and it goes in a big circle, and it just waters everything under that big circle. Uh, there's other options you can add to it. There's swing arms, you know, which can kind of get the corners a little bit better. But yeah, it's a, a solenoid valve, so you have. So he was asking, what is the other gadget that <laughs> connects to open sprinkler? How does the water actually turn on? Well, water can turn on in multiple ways. You know, you could turn a valve on manually, or you could have an electronic valve. Um, the electronic valves are called solenoids. And so there's a little bit of electric signal that goes to them to open up the valve. I'm not actually sure how a solenoid works. I just know that they typically do... Um, but there's some kind of electrical current that goes and something moves out of the way and the water can then flow. And uh, basically, when it's time to shut off, then that thing is reversed and it shuts, shuts itself off. I wouldn't recommend at all Orbit. So don't go down to Home Depot and think you're going to find what you need to find. Go to an actual irrigation company like Ewing Irrigation or Sprinkler World or something online, but... There's, there's just some homeowner brand stuff that you can get by for a while.
but it's a sure, it's sure a pain when it goes wrong, and it tends to go wrong at the worst times. Um, Eritrol makes a valve that I used on irrigation booms in greenhouses, and I like their valve because there's no screws on it. You just unscrew the thing if it plugs up with anything, but Eritrol makes a nice valve. Uh, it's a gray little, little valve. I want to give you another resource. So I'm, we're, this is kind of a resource session. Uh, this is a book put out by the National Center for Appropriate Technology. It costs like $12.95, and it covers water management. It doesn't do a good job with water quality. That's where the other document comes in. And it talks about equipment maintenance. I wish I would have had this like 10 years ago. So if you're looking into irrigation systems and trying to figure things out, this would be a good resource for you to have. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I keep forgetting that. I'll get this down one of these days. So here's a page. I just I kind of put this t together faster than I should have. But here's a page showing the efficiency percentages of different sprinklers. Now, I don't want to go into all the details. This, PD, this uh, PowerPoint will be available. But you can see that flood irrigation is one of the worst irrigation methods, unless somebody's really good with it. And they have a lot of expendable time, and their time's worth nothing. Like, tons of time is worth nothing. We uh, have linears, which is basically a center pivot that goes in a straight line. Those are, that's about as uniform as you're going to get. Drip is just a step above that. But drip doesn't do a good job at leaching salts. So you can accumulate salts in a field with drip tape. It, it just bands the salts out to the outsides. And then they kind of sit there. And if you're in a low rainfall area, then they just sit there. Um, with sprinklers, you're probably going to see in the neighborhood of 70 to 90%. But there are certain sprinklers that do a much better job the wobbler being one of them, at getting the, the pattern up, you know, getting the uniformity to 85, 90%. So the higher percentage you get, the less you'd have to run a pump and the less water you'd actually have to apply. So get that, get that percentage up quite a ways. Um, different crops need different frequencies. This is just to show that, like, alfalfa can, you know, it can be depleted quite a bit in the water, in the the water in the soil. Um, but if you're growing like salad greens, don't let it get water depleted. <laughs> um, or if you're growing something really, actually salad greens are not that sensitive. I'm finding that they're super tolerant of dry. We don't let them grow dry because then they turn bitter, but they can handle, they can handle pretty dry. So there's, these are just some, these are just some things from this very same book. And I would just recommend that you if you're interested, pick it up. Um, water infiltration rate lessens for these factors. So you, you lose infiltration when you have a lot of sodium and a lot of bicarbonates in the water. Um, when your soil's not an ideal chemi chemically, you know, if the chemistry's wrong on the soil, you're going to have a hard time getting the good percolation. So... An ideal soil, at least with the soil test I use, is 68% uh, calcium, 12% magnesium, 7.5% potassium, that's the upper limit, and 1% to 2% sodium. That's the ideal. 
That's that's for that's so you set your physical properties of your soil correctly. Yeah, if your infiltration rate lessens due to, I kind of should have worded it better, I guess. Yep, that's the ideal. Now, um, the the big reason for good physical structure is because then you have, you can optimize the nutrition that's present, and the microbes do so much better. You can actually form humus when your soil is corrected. So then there's what extra water holding capacity. So one percent humus gain is 20,000 gallons per acre of how much it can store in water. So it's, it's very considerable. So soils low, low in humus also are problematic. They don't, they don't pull in water. This is what I use um, in order to determine um, when to water. I like a lot of what Darren said to me last night, so I'm going to use the combination of the two next year. So he'll talk about that. But this is our free tax paid for <laughs> weather station. So it tells us evapotranspiration. Evapotranspiration is simply like how much water a certain crop uses under a given set of conditions. So if it's super windy and it's 105 degrees and the humidity is down at 8%, which it can be at our place, you know, you're going to have a water loss of half an inch a day at our place um, in the middle of summer. You know, if your, sol if your duration of your of your sunlight is 12 hours versus 8 hours, you're obviously going to have more loss. Um, so it's a calculation. It's not a measurement. It's measuring these parameters. They run it through a series of calculations. Uh, there's different calculations, but overall we, we compare everything to alfalfa because that's the standard in our region. But maybe the standard in your region, maybe it's oranges. You know, maybe it's... I'm not sure what else other standards would be, honestly. You know, there's probably some other standards to look at. Um, so 55 inches is how much I, how much I added up before when I was preparing for this talk a couple weeks ago. Um, that's quite a bit of water in a given season. It's quite a bit. Most of that occurs, obviously, in the May to August period. Um, so here's some math. Here's how I use it. So if you lose, like, 2.1 inches in the last week, and you're at 85% distribution uniformity, and one hour of watering on that specific sprinkler is a quarter inch per hour, then it takes 9.88 hours to replenish. So you round it up 5%, and you call it 10 hours, 10 and a half hours. We don't water for 10 hours straight. I'm just saying this is, this is kind of the, the math. But a lot of times I'll look at this if we have some really hot days to know how long the duration should be increased say bump it up 20%. Um, tomatoes are totally a totally different animal. You, you have to manage their water a lot more tightly. But field vegetables, you, you almost just run it a little on the wet side where we are. We have great drainage. Our soil is 80% calcium, 10% magnesium, so the drainage is, is pretty good. This is the second ideal of the Albrecht system, where you have an overabundance of calcium. It causes other problems but you have this overabundance of calcium which really makes the soil open and then you drop down the magnesium from 12% to 10% and then it's nice and open. Yes, yes. So this is my last slide. Here's some, just some irrigation companies to kind of look into and if you're in a hot climate, I will say I don't find anything wrong with afternoon watering but 
our climate is so dry that it evaporates off the foliage, you know, in a couple hours, whereas here, maybe you would cause some salt burn with the same kind of water. So some of these things are trial, by, trial and error. What I'm going to share is a lot more simplistic. Um, so how many of you are home gardeners? And can I see your hand? Your hands? Okay, maybe this will be helpful for you. Um, probably the majority of you are home growers. And um, first of all, I just want to uh, share some scripture that has to do with uh, irrigation. The first scripture is in Genesis about uh, when the earth was being formed, that a water came up from the ground and um, a mist came up and watered the earth. And that would be an ideal situation. It's what we're looking forward to in the new earth when the, we don't have to deal with all this technology to try to get water to our plants. In Deuteronomy, it says that, am I, should I be speaking into this? Um, it says that the, the land that you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord are your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul then I will give you the rain for your land in its season the early and latter rain that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil now that's the ideal isn't it and we want the Lord to look favorably upon our gardens the problem is that we're living in a in a wicked world and we are uh, suffering the effects of uh, sin and uh, so forth and so we have droughts and we have all these uh, curses so we have to manage the uh, the irrigation with means but we always want to seek the Lord and it's interesting that um, it says here in Second Chronicles 7, 12 to 14, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. I believe the first approach to gardening is prayer and to be seeking the Lord and be right with the Lord because we're working in partnership with him. He's the one that can bless our crops and can give us success and give us wisdom to know how to manage the conditions. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45 and 46, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So it's the Lord who sends us the rain that we desperately need, especially in California where we have drought. I come from New Zealand where it's beautiful and green and it's almost like that promised land where the Lord sends his rain and this is middle of summer where we, I mean irrigation was not really a consideration. Occasionally a little bit of water but the rain from heaven would water our gardens and everything would grow and was beautiful. It was just an ideal climate for growing. And then I came to California and um, it was a whole different animal. <laughs> so growing where there's no water, we have five months of no rain in California and the ground dries out and it dries out very deep down. And so there's a totally different dynamic to uh, growing. 
But when you manage your water right, you can have beautiful crops and they grow. It's actually nicer to not have to deal with as many weeds in the aisleways because uh, they don't get water. And, and there are a few weeds that grow, but you have to um, get them out. And then for the rest of the season, it's not too bad. But um, we use drip tape for all our watering. We don't use sprinklers except in the orchard. We use micro sprinklers there. We have to be very careful on our water use and uh, drip tape is very economical when it comes to water. You can be very precise, you're just watering the root zone. And um, here we have, uh, well this field here is about two and a half acres of um, sweet potato and we just put the drip tape right down the middle of the plants and uh, give them water and, and um, Well, initially we put it on, we actually form the row to have a little V on the top. You can't see it very well in the picture, but uh, initially it'll sit on there, but the cold of the nights and in the heat of the day, it kind of, you know, expands and, and walks off the row. So when the plants are little like this, we have to set them back up, you know, when we initially um, have planted. But after about two, three weeks, the, the vines grow and hold it in place. Uh, there are systems that if you're in a sandy loam type of a soil where you can actually have uh, a bed shape that you have one drip tape between the two and then the drip tape doesn't walk and, and it's a lot easier. But we have such a variation of, of soil conditions that we have from very rocky where the, the, um, the water drains through and then we have fine clay where it, you know, it's like a sponge and absorbs it. So we have to put the drip right down the middle to, for all of them to get water that they need. Did I see a hand? Yes. We sure do. <laughs> we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, when we were harvesting sweet potatoes, it's quite often we have, you know, academy and sometimes college students out there helping us and I'll, we'll be picking up the sweet potato and I'll hear a scream and I know that somebody's come across a, a vole. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, sometimes they'll chew on the water lines. They'll, they'll there and you'll, you'll come out, turn the water on and you see these big fountains and you go out there and put a connector and, and we go through quite a few connectors. You need, for a drip system, you need a good filter. And um, if you have a very small garden... Um, you can buy screen filters, probably the cheapest type of filter, but the best type of filter is going to be what's called a disc filter. And the disc filter has hundreds of these little very thin discs, and these discs have little grooves that go through, and they're sandwiched together, and the water has to pass through them, and, um, and it filters out all the very fine debris. And for drip tape and sprinklers, especially micro sprinklers, you have to have a good filtration system, otherwise they block up and um, that becomes a very big problem. So when you clean these disc filters out, they're in a cartridge that they're screwed together and then you can loose them off and uh, flush them out. We actually, we use a three inch one, which is quite a large one for the field you saw. We actually use a water blaster. We loosen it off and then put it in a tub and then just go over it quickly with a water blaster. It cleans it quickly and having a very clean filter is good for a big field like that because if it's slightly blocked, you don't have enough volume of water going out and reaching to the extremities. And having even watering is really, really important to have uh, an even yield of your crop. 
a pressure regulator, you need that for drip tape. Drip tape is only um, good up to about, they say 25 pounds, but 20 pounds, um, you get rupturing and you have to put connectors in where it ruptures. So I run them at 10 pounds, that's, that's my standard. And so you can get them at different, um, different levels. I think 10 might be the smallest, uh, Sean, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but 10 up to you know, 30, 40 pounds. But for drip tape, I recommend 10, no more than 15 pounds rated. We use one. We use one regulator. So from our source, we put the regulator there. Now, we're on a slope. We don't have any flat land. And so the lower part of the field gets more pressure than the upper part of the field. Um, what we do to compensate for that is that partway up the slope, I have another, a valve. So when we turn the water on, we turn, after a couple of hours, two, three hours, we turn that valve off and let the upper half get more water to, to be more evenly uh, watered. So there's a lot, if you have multiple regulators, um, there's a lot more to manage there. But if you have a, sufficient, a sufficiently large enough um, supply line, then you don't have to have multiple, if you've got multiple fields like a big farm like Sean's from, you have to have that, but. Um, yeah, we've got acres. Yes, uh-huh, kind of right. I heard you with a question before about you had long 300-foot uh, length yeah, rows and that. Yeah, we, we, we have 300-foot uh, rows and uh, some of them are shorter. What, what you have to do with your drip tape is the spacing of the drippers, the longer it is, the further apart the drippers need to be because there's a rating on them as far as uh, how many gallons per minute and then you have to know what the, uh, how much comes out of the drip. Yes, you have a question. So it's recorded, yes. Okay, thank you. Um, so basically, we use 8-inch spacing, and we can go up to 300 feet. I think even up to 350 feet with the 8-inch spacing. If you're using 4-inch spacing, then it would be about half of that. So um, look at what the uh, drip tape is rated for, and you can choose accordingly. If it's 8 inches apart, you have to water longer, obviously, to get the, the right amount of water, or if it's 12 inches apart, even longer. So um, consider that. If it's a small home garden, then four inches is good. You can turn it on, you can get your watering done faster and turn it off. So here's a statement from the Spirit of Prophecy. I don't see a clock here, so I'm not sure what the time is. Can somebody kind of monitor for me? I guess I'm going to have to move through this. But anyway, um, we're told in the Spirit of Prophecy that we should pay special attention to the needs of the plants and, you know, with all the different needs and watering is one of them. Now, the difference when, with watering, we grow sweet potatoes and, and other crops, but um, you can see there there's a fat sweet potato and a thin sweet potato. And because of the unevenness of our field, if the sweet potato doesn't get enough water, what happens is it has to go deeper to get it. So you end up with longer, thinner sweet potatoes than when they get sufficient, they, uh, they don't have to go so deep and they will be shorter and fatter. There are other dynamics like feeding them potassium uh, that play into it as well, but uh, watering has a, has a big effect on them. And the plants themselves do not show you when they're water stressed unless they're completely dried out, but they can look like they're really happy, but really they're not getting sufficient water. 
Tomatoes, a lot of people grow tomatoes and have cracking problems and also blossom end rot problems. Um, I learned something in the last couple of years that has completely transformed and eliminated this, and I'm going to share this with you. Um, you will end up with beautiful looking tomatoes and won't have those issues. And for us, uh, by spending about $200, it uh, brought in, uh, from not having the loss from all of that, it, it brought in another two or $3,000 in, in revenue. So it's well worth spending the money. The tool is called a tensiometer. And this tensiometer works in a way um, that it actually, it's a probe that goes into the ground. It kind of uh, simulates a root in a, in a sense. It's got a ceramic tip on it, and the ceramic tip, and then a tube filled up with um, fluid, it's got a dye in it, like a food dye, so that you can see the level of it, and then it has a gauge on it that's a vacuum gauge, and as the plant, as the roots are drawing the, the water, it actually, uh, as it starts drying out, it starts sucking water through the ceramic tip and that creates a suction in the, in the tube, and then your needle will start going up and measuring centibars, and you can see what the tension is. So here's a description of the tensiometer. It's the only direct measurement system available, which means that it actually reads the physical forces at work in the soil. Tensiometers act like a dummy root, allowing the soil moisture to in interact with the instrument through the ceramic tip. Soil water tension outside of the instrument tries to remove the water from it, which creates a measurable tension inside the column. This tension is read with either a mechanical or a transducer attached to the instrument. So here's a picture of the gauge, and you can see on this um, slide here that there's different soil types um, there as far as what rating or what reading you use to know when to uh, irrigate. And this uh, particular one, we, are, we have clay soil, so on, at 50 is when I turn on the irrigation, and when it drops down to below 10, then I turn it off. But um, that what they recommend, the company that makes it is called Irometer, and um, they recommend a deep one and a shallow one. And the way this works is, especially with tomatoes. Tomatoes, if the soil conditions are right, the roots will go down eight feet deep. And, you know, when we water our gardens, we might think we're giving plenty of water by giving an hour or two hours of water a day. And what you're really doing is you're watering about the, the top 12 inches of water. But because the tomato plants put their roots down really deep, then the uh, blossom end rot that a lot of people experience, it's commonly thought to be a calcium deficiency, and it is. But it's not because the calcium is not there in the soil, it is because the plant is not able to take it up because it gets too dry. So it has, there has to be moisture there for the plant to take up the calcium in order to prevent the blossom end rot. So when the flower is starting to form a little fruit is when, if it's too dry, then it, it gets uh, affected. And then, you know, six weeks or so later is when you see the, the, the ripe fruit that's got this big, ugly scar or rottenness on the bottom of it. So keeping the, the right amount of moisture down deep. So um, what I initially experienced was a lot of this, and uh, it was very disappointing because in the early season when we were uh, getting the highest price for them, we were losing quite a bit. When I used these uh, tensiometers and started doing deep waterings, then it completely went away, and we don't have issues with it anymore. So 
we use one that's 18 inches. They recommend one that's about three feet or so deep. Um, I don't know that it's necessary. It's, um, but we use an 18 inch one and, and initially I think I had one that was down about uh, 10 inches and 18 inches. So what you do is when you turn your water on, it, when it gets up to the 50 mark on the shallow one, you turn the water on and, the, and usually the, the deep one won't be up at 50, it might be at 20 or, or something like that. So it's, it's starting to dry but it's not at the point that you need to turn it on. Then when you turn the water on, the top one, the shallow one, is going to reach down to 10 or, or 0, but the bottom one won't have moved. And so you have to leave your water on longer until you see that one drop down and then you turn it off. That's why you have the, the shallow and the deep one to indicate so uh, when to turn it on and when to turn it off. And if you to give it the deep watering, what we found is instead of doing every day one or two hours of water, we went to every and on an average, every three and a half days for about three to four hours of water, and that would get down deep enough to, to supply uh, the plant what it needed. And even in our hot, uh, dry summers, it didn't, they didn't need water in between time. So um, it really revolutionized our tomato crops. No dry and then getting too much water. So if it gets too dry, the skin kind of toughens up and then they get water and they get this burst of growth and the skin can't stretch fast enough and so you get the cracking. Yes, Jennifer. Okay. You need a, a fertilizer injector and there's several different kinds. There's a, a Marzi is the cheapest one that you can get and the Marzi injector is... Um, uh, the place that I'd recommend getting it from is Robert Marvel Plastic Mulch, the, uh, robertmarvel.com. Um, they have uh, both home garden kits that have the full irrigation kit in it with drip tape, regulators, everything you need to just set up. Um, and they also have, they sell for the commercial farmer, so they have all the full range and their prices are good. They're based in Pennsylvania and um, they sell the Marzi kits all set up with the bypass valves, everything ready to just hook up into your line. It has a hose with a filter on it. You can put it into the bucket or drum that you're taking the, the mixture out of, and it will suck it through and feed it to the plants. The, um, there are better ones. Um, the, we use a dosatron in our greenhouses, and the, I like that better than the Marzi. Um, and it basically, the water operates a pump that pumps it out of the, sucks it out of the... Um, the bucket and then feeds it through the drip. So they're a little bit more expensive, but when you're dealing with you know crops that are thousands of dollars, it's worth spending the money. Yes. Robert Marvel. Robert Marvel. Um, Marvel M A R V E. I think double L. Robert Marvel plastic mulch. They sell greenhouse plastic. Um, you know all sorts of other growing um, supplies. So getting back to the tensiometer, when you first set it up, what we use is a half-inch uh, galvanized piece of pipe and a T-post thumper, and we thump that into the ground. It's easier if you've already irrigated and the ground is wet, and thump it into the ground to the depth <coughs> that you want the um, aerometer to go down to. 
They sell a, a slide hammer with a shaft that you can drive it in and, and, and drive it out. It's expensive, uh, so if you're on a tight budget, a piece of half-inch pipe thumped in, you can pull it out. Then the ceramic tip, you get, make some mud, uh, coat the, uh, the tip with some mud to kind of uh, seal it off a little bit and then slide it into the uh, hole. And then you fill it up with the fluid and then this little um, pump looking thing is actually to draw a vacuum on it and you draw a vacuum till the gauge goes up to about 70 or 80 on, and um, what it does is it draws all the bubble, all the air comes out of the gauge and out of the, the tip and so you leave it with a vacuum on until the bubbles have stopped coming out and um, then you put the cap on and it has this little rubber plunger. When it hits the bottom, um, then you turn it about quarter to a half a turn more and then it's ready to go. And then just keep an eye on your fluid level and I've never had to top ours up but if you let it dry out accidentally, this too much fluid might get sucked out of it and you'd have to top it up. So there is an electronic version. It costs, uh, I believe, about $260, and it has these probes that mimic the same thing, and you can get an electronic reading. If you have multiple fields that you're doing, this is cheaper than having multiple of the uh, vacuum-type tensiometer um, because the little uh, probes cost about $35, and you can take the meter and you just clip them on to the little ends of the wires and you can get a reading and just move from one to the other and uh, it'll end up being cheaper if you have to have more than, let me think, about uh, three or four locations. So I like the, uh, the probes better though, I, I think they're more reliable. But with the probe that you put in the ground, you can get an electronic um, controlled uh, a, a gauge that can be set up with a controller that controls your, your solenoid valves so that as soon as the, the water, uh, when the level gets to the right time, it'll turn on your irrigation to, no matter whether it's day or night, any time. As soon as you get to the point, it's going to turn on and give you the water and it'll turn off at the right time. So you'll keep your moisture perfectly what the plant needs and I haven't invested in these yet but I plan to do that I think it's going to be a uh, save a lot of time of monitoring these are just pictures of solenoid valves if you don't know what a solenoid valve um, Sean mentioned it and um, they use a very small amount of electricity and I won't go into the details of how they work but they're available this is the last slide that I have but there is a resource, if, you, if you're not going to use a tensiometer, you can't afford to do that. There are ways of measuring your, your soil moisture to, to find out what the ideal is through just getting it in your hand, squeezing it, looking at it like if you've got a clay soil like we have and you squeeze a, uh, the wet soil in your hand, when you let it go and it leaves a stain on your skin, it's got too much water and it's, it's, it's really soaked. But if it, if it kind of holds together and is still a little bit crumbly but holds together and it doesn't leave a, stain, a, a, a stain, then it's at that ideal moisture, air moisture ratio that uh, Sean was saying. And this, this particular document has um, all the different soil types and pictures and it, it, it basically gives you a really good guide as to ideal moisture content in the soil. So I think our time is up. I may have gone over, I don't know, but um, are there any other questions that you have? You have to be very careful storing it. Mice chew on it in, in the wintertime. I don't know why they do, but uh, we've tried storing it. 
we use about 10 miles of it and so it's really hard to store that much. It's really a huge, you know, quantity. Um, and, and using a lot of connectors. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we, we typically don't. It costs about four cents a foot and um, we just budget it into part of the expense and we use new. It's, it's, it takes a lot of labour to reuse and labour costs money. Your most expensive, you know, you, the greatest expense on a farm is labour and so um, if you can minimise that, then it's, it's saving. So let's have a word of prayer as we close. Dear Father in heaven, we eagerly desire for you to bless our, our gardens, our farms, and we desire to work in harmony with you. We thank you for the tools that have been given us with technology to, um, to supply water and manage it. Father, we desire that above all that we uh, as individuals will be receiving the water, the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us wisdom, to, to enable us to walk with you and that our, our gardens and our lives will be a testimony of your miraculous power to save us and to uh, produce amazing fruit that uh, glorifies your name. So bless us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.